Good morning. It's good to have you here with us this morning. Glad that you are uh, part of our worship today. And uh, trust you've been blessed by the, the praise team and, and the worship that we've enjoyed together. We are in a series called One Thing. Say that together with me. Ready? One Thing. And uh, we are in a multitask culture, in a multitask world. If you're not doing two, three, maybe half a dozen things at one time, you just aren't living. And uh, we, we just constantly are thinking of uh, numerous pies that we can get our fingers into, and we are constantly doing more than one thing. But Scripture tells us in a few areas that there is one thing, and when it emphasizes that one thing, that seems to be the priority. Have you ever had a discussion with somebody, maybe your boss at work, in fact, you know, calls you in, has a little discussion with you, and then when they're just about when you think, you know, I'm getting out, they say, that one more thing. And the one more thing is the thing that they brought you in for the discussion for in the first place, right? I mean, they can ask you, how's the weather, and how's your spouse, and how's your family, and how's things going, and you know, what do you think about the working this year? One more thing. That's the thing that was important. That was the thing that they called you in for. That was the thing that was, your doctor has an appointment, right? One more thing. And it seems like usually that one thing is where the priority is. One thing is a phrase that's used in Scripture. And when we see it, we need to take a look at it. And we need to understand why it's there and how it can apply to our lives and the difference that it can make. Because there's a priority placed on that Scripture, on that statement. And it's there for a purpose. And so uh, we, we started out last week, and we kind of built a foundation for this series. Because, of course, Paul, writing in the book of Ephesians, that little uh, church in Ephesus, little Greek church that had been put together there with all kinds of uh, emphasis on culture and that kind of thing, and, and Paul writes to them and he says, here's some things that are important. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. And he talks about the emphasis of one and the importance of one. Well, now we're going to look at one thing as it relates to Old Testament, New Testament, how we can practically take a look at it. And we start in the book of Psalms. There's a little girl who was drawing at uh, the dining room table, and uh, she was putting a picture together. Her mom came out, and she said, honey, what are you drawing? She said, I'm drawing a picture of God. Her mom said, honey, that's impossible. Nobody knows what God looks like. Little girl says, they will in a minute. I like her confidence. Huh? I like her confidence. They will in a minute. Just, just give me a minute to get done with this picture. They'll know what God looks like. Can I ask you a question? What's God look like in your mind? What's your perception of God? What's he look like to you? And, and maybe even more important than that, uh, not necessarily what's your view or what's your confidence level in the portrait of God, but what is your confidence level in the, the power of God, in the presence of God in your life? We kind of kick into the phrase one thing today by looking at a foundation on which we can build our Lives. And so if you've got a Bible, I want you to turn with me to Psalm 62, verse 11. Psalm 62, 11. If you've got it on your phone or your iPad, you could just click on that, but I'd encourage you to follow along. It will be up here on the screen in front of you so that you could see it, but I encourage you to follow along and, and underline it, uh, highlight it if it's in your, 
in your uh, Bible uh, app on your phone. Don't forget that you could get one. You could get it even now if you just sign into the Calvary Guest uh, online experience thing. You can download uh, a Bible, and, uh, and man, we'd encourage you to do that. Um, I usually speak, just so you know, from NIV or an NLT. I uh, had somebody call the church the other day and ask what version we use, and uh, so I was very honest and told them. I didn't think it was the answer they were looking for, and it wasn't. But uh, uh, anyways, uh, that's, that's uh, what we share from, and so I would encourage you to follow along. But here we go, Psalm 62, verse 11. Ready? One thing God has spoken, two things I have heard. Power belongs to you, God, and with you, Lord, is unfailing love. One thing, the psalmist says. One thing, ready for this? God has spoken. Two things have I heard. Power belongs to you, God, and with you is unfailing love. The psalmist says there's, there's one thing that God has said. There's one thing that God has shared, and from it, I've actually been able to pull two things apart. One is that God is powerful. The second is that God is passionate. There's a little prayer that my grandmother taught me when I was a little boy, and maybe you've heard it or learned it yourself, when it came time to eat. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. Yeah. Never really did understand that because it didn't rhyme, right? I mean, God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. All right, that makes sense. All right, but you know, it just didn't go as well as now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. That one rhymed, but the God is good. Didn't mind the food. Didn't matter. I learned it. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. You want to know something? You want to know what the psalmist says? One thing, one thing, one thing can be broken into two. God is great. And God is good. God is great and God is good. One thing I've heard from God, but I've taken from it two distinct things that are important to the foundation of my life, that are important to the way that I caricature God, to the view that I have of God. God is great and God is good. Why is that so important? Because what we believe about God determines the direction of our lives. What we believe about God in so many ways determines the destiny of our lives. God is great. God is good. And the psalmist says this is what God himself has spoken. One thing. He's great. He's good. Why is that so important? Because whatever our perception is, along with our perception, that determines our expectation. And our level of expectation determines our anticipation. The greater our perception, the greater our expectation, the greater our anticipation of that expectation which is derived from our perception. 
forgive me, I'm not trying to be difficult here. All I'm saying is this, God is great and God is good. And if we can view him like that, if we can see him like that, it will make a difference in the way that we view life. It'll make a difference in the way that we live. You can live without a lot of things. You can live without a lot of things. You cannot live without hope. You cannot live without hope. Even some of the survivors of the Holocaust period, when they would write their memoirs, when they would write, whether it was Corey Tinboom in a hiding place or others who have shared their experience, they talked about the fact that what they held on to was hope. Hope. And when you lost hope, so many lost their desire to live. We can live without a lot of things. We cannot live without hope. And Paul would say in the New Testament that our hope our hope is built on a foundation of God is great. God is good. Our hope is not just a hope that is hoped for. It's a hope that has proven itself to be true. We need the hope of understanding God is great. God, us, God is good. And it makes us far more thankful than just for a good meal. It gives us hope. And when you have days <clears throat> when you have days that turn into weeks, that turn into months, and maybe even a year, a season of life, where you begin to wonder if God really knows what's going on and if God really cares about what's going on. This scripture, this promise of one thing that gives us foundation on which to stand is so important. God is great God is good. Why? Why is it so important and why is it so foundational? Let me give you three things and then we're going to take it one step further and talk about our part in all this because this is what God has said, right? One thing God has said. Where's our part? So we're going to cover that in just a couple minutes. But first of all, this is why it's so important. Three, three things that I want to share with you. So write these down if you're taking notes. Number one, everyone is seeking. Everyone is seeking. Some don't know what they're seeking for. They don't know what they're searching for. Some don't even know that they're searching. But everyone is searching. Everyone is seeking. And the sooner that we come to a realization that what we seek, what we need, the void that we are trying to fill is God himself. And a relationship with the creator, the sooner we realize that, the better off we are. Everyone is seeking. Everyone is trying to fill voids in their life. And the problem is, it may fill the void for a time. But at some point, that void is emptied again. There is a piece of the jigsaw puzzle of your life that only God can fill. He designed you that way. Only he can fill it. Everyone is seeking. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 13, he, he talks about the kingdom of God. And, 
He says the kingdom of God is like a merchant who is searching for fine pearls. But, but he also, he gives another parable, another illustration. He talks about a man discovering that he has treasure buried in a field. Read it in Matthew chapter 13. We won't take the time to read it right now, but he talks about a man who finds a buried treasure. He says that man goes out and sells everything that he has, everything that is of value to him. He sells it. Why? So he can go and buy the piece of land because there's treasure in that land. And he knows that the treasure that is buried in that land is worth far more than everything else that he has. Jesus says that's the kingdom of God. That's the family of God. That's what you and I are invited to be a part of, to participate in, to be a member of his kingdom, his family. Jesus says it is worth going after. At times, is there a price to be paid? Yeah. But it's worth the price to obtain. Everyone is seeking. Here's the second thing. Everyone has questions. Everyone has questions. In the Old Testament, there is an Old Testament prophet by the name of Habakkuk. He's got a small little book. But that book starts questioning God. That's how it begins, with questions for God. In the New Testament, if you were to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you'd find, of course, the, the story of Jesus, the, the life of Jesus, his miracles, his messages. But you'd also find a lot of people asking questions. They've got all kinds of questions of Jesus, whether it's the Pharisees or his disciples or people that he heals or people that he meets, so many questions. Let's be honest. You have questions. You have questions. You may ask the questions of somebody else, but truthfully, if you were to get right down to it, you're really questioning God. You have questions for God. Let, let me tell you something. Why is it so important? One thing, God is great, God is good, because the greatness of God can handle your questions. And the goodness of God is there even if you don't like his answer. He can handle your questions, and we all have them. And there's a couple things to understand about God. First of all, God does not cause evil. God does not cause evil. In the Old Testament, the book of Job, Satan wanted God to stretch out his hand, right? God wouldn't do it. Now, he gave Satan a little bit of leeway, to go after Job, didn't he? But God wouldn't cause the evil. He would allow it in order to prove the faithfulness of Job. But he didn't cause it. And a lot of times we look at the evil in the world and we think, why would God cause such evil? And God has to redirect us all the way back to the beginning and say, I, I didn't. 
I didn't. The world is on a downward spiral that began way, way back in the early part of Genesis. When I didn't even have ten commandments, I just had one. Just one. And before you get mad at Adam and Eve, I mean, let's, let's be honest. We, at some point, we, we would have probably done the same exact thing. And so all of the difficulty, the challenges of these past months, sometimes people say, why would God cause all this? He didn't cause it. He would allow it, but he doesn't cause it. He doesn't cause it. There's one more thing to understand here, too, as we're looking at the fact that everybody has questions. When we question God, and and we all do, the thing that we got to be careful of is we put so much of the burden, so to speak, of our questions on God that it kind of allows us to smuggle through what we bring to the table, the part that we play in whatever we happen to be going through. And if we could somehow, now if we could blame other people, That's the easiest thing. But if we can't find blame there, then let's just blame God. And it doesn't doesn't allow us then to take the best introspective look at our own lives and say, what am I doing? What am I bringing into this? What did I force? What did I manipulate? What did I, what part did I play? So we got to be careful. C.S. Lewis, uh, an author of a book called Mere Christianity, and in fact, Mere Christianity was written back in early 50s, so it's been around a long time. But it's still just, every year it still sells like 150,000 copies. Christianity Today, which is a leading Christian periodical, says that since the turn of the century, Mere Christianity they rate it as the third highest book as far as making a difference from a Christian perspective. And it's sold millions of copies. Its author was C.S. Lewis. You may not be familiar with the name C.S. Lewis or the book Mere Christianity, but you probably are familiar with The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. That was made into a big Disney movie. That's C.S. Lewis. And he wrote mere Christianity out of his own life and out of his own story of how he came to Christ. And and this is what he says. He was an atheist, okay? (laughs) The guy who wrote the third most impactful and important book in the 20th century on Christianity was an atheist. And he looked at the suffering in the world and he couldn't understand why suffering exists if God was great and God was good. But he admits in the book that threw him into a dilemma. Listen, my argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. 
But how had I gotten this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. You get where he's coming from? You don't know that a line is crooked unless you know what a straight line is. When you know what a straight line is, then you know if the line is crooked. He says, what was I comparing this universe to when I called it unjust? And he says in the book that he realized that in calling something evil, it was only possible to call something evil if there was some universal standard of good. And the only way that universal standard of good could come is if there was an ultimate creator, if there was a God. And C.S. Lewis became a believer in Christ. He had questions. And actually, the answer to his questions led him to God, but also the fact that he couldn't answer some of the questions that he had led him to God. There needs to be something that is greater, that is bigger than us, that is in control. Doesn't it make sense? Doesn't it make a difference to you? If you are in a world where things seem so out of control, to know that there is someone who has control. That we can put our faith and trust in. We may not understand it, but we can rest in what? One thing. God is great. And two things, the psalmist says, have I been able to derive from that, not just the greatness of God, but the goodness of God. So, here's the deal. Everyone is seeking. Everyone is searching. Uh, everyone has questions. And then here's the third one. And this is, this is kind of morbid, but it, it's the truth, isn't it? Everyone is dying. Everyone is dying. From the moment that we are born, we move towards our passing. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 says, it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. And it makes the foundation on which we build our lives, it makes the perception that we have of God so important. God is great. God is good. Jesus would say in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So important. Why? Because for those that are seeking, for those that are searching, he is the way. For those who have questions, he is the truth for those for those who will someday die and that includes all of us doesn't it he's the life he's the life i watched the the funeral yesterday of uh 
an evangelist, a Southern Baptist evangelist who recently spoke to multiplied thousands. He was younger than me. He spoke to more people than me. He spoke to more young people in one week this past summer than an entire summer. And, and I couldn't help but relate to those last two points of this message. Everyone has questions. I have questions. Why in the world would it be a good idea to take this guy, Lord? Doesn't make any sense. But in the midst of those questions, another question pops up. Why not me? And sometimes when we question God, and, and again, I think we all have questions. I think that probably at some point or another you've had a question for God that you would have loved to ask in the past 18 months, and probably more than one. But in our questioning of God, do we ever get to the point where we're like, why? Why are you so gracious? Why do you have so much mercy? Why would you love me? Because while we can't answer sometimes the questions that kind of move in the negative aspect of life, we also can't answer the questions that move in the positive end of life. Why would he send his son? Why would he love me so much that he would give? And there's only one thing you can come back to. Because God is great, and God is good. Many of you are familiar with the phrase, God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. And it may not seem to it from our perspective, but when we have a foundational view that God is great, that God is good, there's going to be one thing that we are going to fall back on, rely on, that we are not going to let go of, and that is the greatness and goodness of God, then it changes the perception not just of God, but our perception of God changes our perception of ourselves and our own lives. Everyone is searching. Everyone has questions. Everyone is dying, but in all three instances, he provides what is necessary. To those that are searching, Jesus says, I am the way. To those that are having questions, he says, I am the truth. And to those that are dying, Jesus says, I am the life. And you can get to the Father through me by accepting, just simply accepting the gift that I've given of salvation. Sometimes we try, sometimes we ask why, sometimes we cry, but in all situations we can have hope when the foundation of our lives is one thing, that God is great, God is good. So where, where do we fit in? What, what is our responsibility in this? And I think the Psalms gives us an answer to that. Psalm 27 verse 4 
The psalmist says this, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord and seek him in his temple. You know who wrote this? The psalmist was a guy by the name of David. David, scripture describes as a man after God's own heart. And you would say, well, uh, Billy, isn't, isn't David the guy that, uh, you know, uh, saw a nice-looking woman uh, across the way and decided, yep, that's him. And didn't, 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 he, uh, did, did, didn't she get pregnant? And then he tried to have her husband, yep. And, and didn't he ultimately have her husband killed? Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Didn't he have a split with his son and wind up going to war? Yep, 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 yep. Yet scripture describes him as a man after God's own heart. Why? Was David perfect? Huh. Not at all, right? It doesn't take rocket science to figure that out. No. Dude had flaws. He was messed up. But he realized that communion with God and his delight in that communion with God is what gave him the confidence for life that he had. And he was a man after God's own heart. Diverted, sure. But he would ultimately always come back to an understanding that God was great and God was good and I need to be in his presence. And the more that I'm in his presence, the more that I'm with him, the more that I'm in communion with him, the better my life is, the better I am, the better person I am, the better king I am. I need to be with him. And my one thing, my one desire is to dwell in the house of the Lord. What would he say in Psalm 23? And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's how he wrapped up the shepherd's psalm. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And the thing is, David didn't get to build the temple. His son did. But his desire was to be in the very presence of God. They were still living under the time that God had called the Israelites out of Egypt and all that he had provided for them. But there was not that temple that would be built to his honor and glory. That would come, but it wouldn't come until after David was gone. But David said, I won't be in your house. I want to be in your presence. The temple was just a representative of the desire that David had to be in the presence of God. And the interesting thing is that the temple, of course, would be torn down. Jesus himself would prophesy that that would happen. Because Jesus was in the temple. He'd be in there. He cleared some of the people out. That's a couple times that he got really angry. And he said, my father's house is supposed to be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. 
And they, they were gouging the people who were coming to make sacrifice. Price gouging is what they were doing. But when Jesus did what he did on the cross of Calvary, he reached up to the hand of God and he reached down to the hand of man and he pulled those two back together and all of a sudden, the temple of God became the hearts of men. And when you receive Christ into your heart as your Lord and Savior, you become the temple of his spirit. He told his disciples, I'm leaving, but it's going to be best for you because if I leave, I will send my spirit. And my spirit will come and be with you and wherever you go, that's where I'll be. And that only happens when you and I become the temple of the spirit of God. That's exactly what Paul calls it. We are his temple. And it no longer takes a building to house the presence of God. We can have that presence with us. Why is that so important? Let me just give you these few things and then we'll wrap up here. First of all, there is joy in the presence of God. Psalm 16 verse 11 says, You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence and with eternal pleasures at your right hand you fill me with joy in your presence there is a joy that comes in the presence of God Jesus said I want my joy to be in you and your joy to overflow that happens when we understand that there's a relationship there's a connection One thing that God has said, the greatness, the goodness. One thing that the psalmist says, I want to be in the presence of that greatness and that goodness. I want to be there all the time. I want to live there. Why? Because there's a joy in that presence. There's rest in the presence of God. Exodus chapter 33 verse 14 in Exodus chapter 33, they're getting ready to leave. They're getting ready to set out. It's time for them to move. And Moses comes and he says to God in chapter 33, if you're not going to go with us, because God talks about, you know, well, maybe I'll send an angel, maybe I'll send, no, no, no. If you're not going, we don't want to go. We want you to go with us. And God says, Verse 14, then he replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. If your presence doesn't go, Moses said, don't make us go up from here. There is rest in the presence of God. There's a joy that comes from the presence of God. There is a rest that comes from the presence of God. And what did Jesus say? Come unto me, all of you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Have you ever gotten back from a vacation and felt more tired than before you left on the vacation? You come back and you're almost like, man, I need a few days off. Why? Because I just had a few days off. You are, you are more tired there's there's just something about have you ever had a day where you uh you just kind of laying around 
you know, you, you, maybe you had a day off and you were like, you know what, I'm just, I'm wiped out. And you lay around. And, and, and when evening comes, even though you haven't done anything, you're like exhausted. You are like just so worn out. And you didn't do anything. You just laid on the couch and binge watched Netflix all day. And you're still exhausted. Where does that come from? What is that? Even in the time in which we have felt in, in these past months kind of isolated, where, where you were stuck at home, was there not a sense of exhaustion that came with that? I mean, did, did anybody come out of that? And yes, there were some that did. But did most people come out of that just feeling, you know, all ready to rock and roll, man? I mean, just, you know, oh, man, I'm rested up. I feel good. I've been eating right. No. Most of the time, people were eating wrong, right? It's called the pandemic diet. Everybody gained weight because all you had to do was look forward to eating. You come out of it, and it's like, I shouldn't be this tired. I shouldn't be this worn out. But there is this yoke that is on us. And it's not anything to do with eggs. A yoke is back in Jesus' day what they would put on the oxen to keep them together. To help guide them where they needed to be. That was the yoke. And it could be very heavy because the oxen were, well, you know, pretty good size. So Jesus, knowing that the people will understand what he's talking about, says, hey, we all have this. But if you'll come to me, if you'll have relationship with me, I, I'll lessen that burden. It's almost as if he says, I'll come alongside you and shoulder some of that. You're not going to be without it. You're not going to be out getting tired. You're not going to be without getting exhausted. But Jesus says, let, let me help you with this. Stop trying to do this on your own. Come to me. There's a rest that is found in the presence of God. There, there's a joy that is found in the presence of God. And let, let me give you one more. There's actually quite a few, but I narrowed it down to just, just three for you today. There is a friendship that is found in the presence of God. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Here I am, Jesus says. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. What's he talking about? He's talking about a relationship, right? You eat meals with your friends. You share meals with people that you love. And Jesus says, if you'll open the door, I'll come in and take over. I'm going to come in and clean the house. I'm going to come in and get rid of all that junk in the closet. He says, I'll come in. Let, let, let's share a meal. Let's, let's share a meal together. Let's, let's establish a relationship. And that is the goodness of God.
the greatness of God coming and being a part of your life because of the goodness of God that would actually send his son Jesus so that we could have relationship with him. Not because of all, you know, and, and so many of us, right, we, we, I think we talked about this a few weeks ago. Um, no, we didn't talk about this. Forgive me. I'm getting messages confused. In my message on Tuesday night to the young people up north, I shared with them a, an excerpt from a book. And, and in the book, the gentleman talked about the fact that at one point in his life, he and his wife had a housekeeper. And the housekeeper would come in once a week. And he says in the book, I hated when the housekeeper came. Because whenever she came that morning, my wife and I would run around the house and, you know where this is going, right? Clean it up. Because we didn't want the housekeeper to think that we lived in a dirty house. Even though the housekeeper's job was to come and clean the house. We'd clean the house before the housekeeper got there to clean the house. Sometimes in coming to God, we think, oh, you know what? Eh, some of this sounds good, but I, I really need to take care of this. I need to clean this up. I need to get rid of this. I need to. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I'm just knocking at the door. Let me in. Just, just let me in. Let me share life with you for a while. Let me share a meal with you for a while. Let me make a difference in your life. Let me show you what it's like to live without your past, without your sin, without those bad decisions clouding your judgment, clouding your head. I can forgive you of that. I want, I want to be a presence in your life. Friendship comes in the presence of God. And what's the last thing? Last words are so important, right? What's the last thing that Jesus said as he kind of elevated up in front of his disciples? I am with you Always, even to the end of the age. Everyone is seeking. Everyone is questioning. And sadly, everyone is dying. But we have one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And the greatness of God and the goodness of God can be found in relationship with him. But what's the key? Seek him. You've got to go after. You've got to receive him. You've got to accept him. There is a step of faith that has to be part of this. God has all of this for us, but what is it that pleases God? It's our faith. Jeremiah chapter 29, 11, for many of you, a verse that you like to claim and that, that we have used, it says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Great verse. Don't stop there. You got to keep reading. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. 
You'll find me when you seek me with all your heart. You see, God knew there'd be people that were seeking. And he wants to give us the assurance that he will be found. But keep seeking after him. Step into relationship with him. Give him a chance to be the difference maker in your life. One thing the psalmist said that God has spoken. He's great. He's good. And the psalmist says, one thing I'm going to do, I'm going to seek to be in his presence all the time. All the time. Why? Because there is rest and there is joy and there is a fellowship and there is a friendship with God that comes when we take that step and seek after him. Paul said in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. That verse in and of itself, which we share nearly every Sunday, is the greatness and the goodness of God. The greatness that Jesus was resurrected on that first Easter. The goodness that we are saved when we seek after him. When we put our faith and trust in him. Saved from our sin. Saved from ourselves. Saved for eternity. Forget trying to clean the house. Just let him in. Just let him in. And see what a difference he can make. Bow your heads together with me in prayer. Maybe you are here today and you are seeking. Maybe you're here today and you are questioning. I hate to say it, but all of us, <laughs> at one point or another, this life will be over. And the decision of what we do with Jesus Christ is going to make an eternity of difference. And today, I want to give you that opportunity to put your faith and put your trust in the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except by me. We're building this series on the fact that Paul said last week, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God over all, in all, through all. That God is great, that God is good, that God wants a presence in your life. But you got to receive it, you got to accept it, you got to take a step of faith. And if that's you today, if you want to know today that Christ lives in you, if you want to know that your sins are forgiven, then I want to simply encourage you to pray this prayer after me. Nothing special about the prayer, you could pray your own prayer. God will hear you, he understands. But maybe you'd say, Billy, I, I could use a little guidance there. And if that's the case, then I want to simply lead you in this prayer and invite you to pray it in your heart. You don't need to say it out loud. Just talk to God. But if that's you today, if you want to put your faith and trust in Christ, you want to know that he lives in you, that your sins are forgiven, then I want you simply to pray this prayer 
Lord Jesus, I do believe you love me. That you came and died and rose again for me. Come into my heart. Forgive my sin and save me. I make you the Lord of my life. With our heads still bowed in prayer, just between you, me, and God, if you prayed that prayer, would you just quietly, quickly, just slip up your hand and put it down and say, yeah, that's me today, Billy. I prayed that prayer. Yep, thank you. Just slip it up and put it down. God bless you. Yep. I may not even know who you are today, but God does. And I'm going to be praying for you in these next few days that God will do something to bring you to an even greater understanding of the decision that you made here this morning. Father, thank you for meeting with us today. Thanks for the chance that we have to meet, to share, to worship, to fellowship, to grow, to learn. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you that you are all-powerful. You are great. But Father, part of your greatness is that you are good to us. You are a good, good Father. So good that you give us a way to get to you. And all we have to do is take that step of faith. Lord, I pray you'd be with those today who, with a lifted hand, have said, yeah, I made that decision this morning. Do something tangible, Lord, in their lives in these next few days to help them realize the importance of that decision and may it cement it even further in their hearts and minds. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for desiring to live in us. Thank you that your presence goes with us. We give you praise for all of it in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Amen.